Today is Mother's Day, so we want all the moms to stand. We got some of our guest services team. Y'all come on up. All moms, stand, please. When you get a Bath and Body Works gift card, you may sit down. Uh, We want you to smell good, uh, regardless of what your kids do or do not do to you. Um, All right, yeah, give give them a hand. We love moms around here. Now, moms, we also have done something else for the moms. Now, um, somewhere back there at the back, I don't know where they are, the sheets, are they still back there? Somebody has them, these, these 10 mom prayers um, that were sitting around somewhere. We're going to hand those out, give them to guest services. They'll hand those out at the end. Let me tell you what the 10 mom prayers are real quickly. On one side, the 10 mom prayers, it's prayers for vision. Their scripture goes along with this. Wisdom, self-control, financial responsibility, kind heart, energy, creativity, patience, my marriage, where you're praying for your marriage, and hope. So all of those things are on their prayers, just suggestions for the day. We want you to have that. On the back, we challenged our women's ministry to come up with some technology-free ideas to do from Mother's Day through Saturday, May 19th of this year. And here is what the mothers came up with. This is straight from our our women's ministry. Oh, I don't have them on that sheet. There it is, all right. Fishing. If Janie comes up with fishing and says, we want to go fishing, I am so there. This is, this is one of my activities. But this came from moms. This didn't come from Doug. Uh, yard games, kickball, football, whatever. Board games, read books, card games, spoons. When we go to Haiti, one of the, one of the most violent games our kids, our teenagers play is spoons. Where like, you know, you, they jump across the table. Spoons flying, bodies flying. It, but anyway, some mom wanted to do that. Uh, listen to music. Go for a walk or take a hike, uh, hike nature trails. Alternate date night and family night throughout the week. I did not edit this at all. Number 10 is have some belly button to belly button time. I did a sermon series called From This Day Forward, and one of the sermons I talked about how men like shoulder to shoulder. We want you to do something with us. Going fishing, that's a great thing. Um, Riding my motorcycle, I love it when Janie rides with me. Those are awesome things. Uh, Women want face to face, right? So you need to talk to them. Janie's a quality time girl. I can take her to the movies. She loves going to the movies, but that doesn't count as face to face. I have to take her somewhere else after that and sit across and talk to her. That's face to face time. And then we talked about belly button to belly button. And since there are, are some young folks in here, I'll let you uh, figure out exactly what that is. But we do, we do believe God created sex, that sex is good in marriage, that it bonds us together. So some woman, I did not ask who, I do not want to know who. She said one of the technology three free things she wanted to do this week. That's way too much information for you, isn't it? Um, We are that kind of church. Uh, Family-free quiet time alone. I think maybe number 10, never mind. Um, Get rid of the kids. Okay. Do a short Bible study. Do a family Bible study. Family meal times where everyone helps cook and clean up together. You know a mom said that because that one, right? Where you cook and clean up together. Do a home project together. Relax outside under the stars next to a nice fire. Even though it's 90 degrees, that's all right. Um, Move far enough back from the fire. Get together with friends. Visit new places locally. Now, here's the deal. If mom says that we're not going to have any technology, mom is in charge for the next seven days. If mom pulls out her phone, guess what that means? You get to get on your phone. If mom gets on the computer, but if mom says no, one of the best gifts you can give. We did this years ago when I was a youth minister in Arlington, and Janie and I didn't even have kids, but we still played by the same rules. Every night, we did whatever Janie wanted to do, and it's one of the most fun times that we've had in our marriage. So we wanted to offer this to you. Be sure and pick those up as you leave. Ladies, you can make up something new if you want to. We just wanted to do that for moms. All right, today um, we're going to talk about moms, but maybe in a little bit different way. But some of you, how many of you are last minute gift shoppers? 
I used to be the guy at Walmart on Sunday morning, because I get up early on Sunday mornings to study, and I used to be the guy in the, in the card aisle on Sunday morning. I did it a day ahead of time. I, I got that taken care of. But I wanted to share, for some of you who haven't gotten a card yet, maybe you would like to use one of these. Here, here's what one. The pessimist views the glass as half empty. The optimist views it as half full. The mom views it as one more thing she has to pick up because someone was too thoughtless to put it in the dishwasher. That's available 50 bucks. I'll print you one, $50. We're trying to raise money for Haiti. Uh, here's another one. Let's see, hours of screaming labor, about a million poopy diapers, thousands of loads of laundry, years and years of sleepless nights, and all I get is this lousy Mother's Day card, right? In the first service, the only ones that laughed at both of those first were men. The women were glaring at me. I don't know what was up. With the, thank y'all for being much nicer to the pastor. Or this one, this was my favorite. It's, it's not easy being a mom. If it were, dad would do it. <laughs> yeah, see, all the women liked that one. They didn't like the other. Well, today I want to talk to you that, about some relationships in the church that we're supposed to have. And one of them is how we're supposed to have spiritual moms in the church. This comes from Paul talking to two young pastors. We're going to look at, at a passage in First Timothy, and we're going to look at something in Titus. Titus. Both of these, Timothy and Titus, were young pastors. Paul was telling them how they could have a healthy church. Look what he says in First Timothy 5.1. He says to Timothy, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. The Bible talks about the church as a family, so it's no uh, surprise that, that it talks about the relationships we're supposed to have in the church are very family-like. So it says to treat the older men like fathers. So John Colander is older than I am. He is three whole months older than I am. I'm supposed to look at him like a father, so I ask him to loan me 50 bucks to take Janie on a date. I'm not sure that, he declined, I'm not sure that's what it means, treating like a, a father. But the relationship aspect, um, younger men are to be brothers, older women are to be like moms, and younger women are to be like our sisters. Now, this week I read several quotes that I'm going to show you, but I also, when I read the quotes, I go, man, those are good. I wish I knew who the people were who quoted these things. So I want to tell you about the quotes before I put them up. First one is Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot was um, a missionary in Ecuador. She and her husband, Jim, were trying to reach the Aka Indians, A-U-C-A. No one had ever reached them. In fact, if you met an Aka, they would kill you because they didn't like outsiders. If you weren't born there, first thing they would do is kill you. So when Jim and his missionary friends met, first they, they learned the language, they dropped off packages for them. When they first met them, they had a very positive first experience. Everybody else had been killed, they, they weren't. They met two women down at the river. They thought, yes, God is opening the door for us to reach the Aka Indians. The next time they go to meet them, they saw the women, the same women in the river. The men came out with spears and killed all of those missionaries, left their bodies on the shore there. Elizabeth Elliot had a young daughter at the time. She and her husband were trying to reach the Aka. She eventually goes back and, and says, God called me there. I'm supposed to reach these people. Eventually, God uses her to lead the whole tribe, all of the Aukas, to Christ. That's, I want you to understand who it is who says this, this first quote I'm going to show you. Amy Carmichael, this is Elizabeth, Elizabeth says this. Amy Carmichael became for me what now some call a role model, but she was far more than that. She was my first spiritual mother. That's the term I want you to hang on to. She showed me the shape of godliness. Well, I said, who's Amy Carmichael? Short answer, Amy Carmichael was Mother Teresa in India before Mother Teresa was ever born. 
Amy Carmichael was never married. She spent 55 years in India reaching the people no one else wanted to reach. She had this ministry that became so widespread, people understood that young girls trying to escape prostitution and slavery would run to her house and beg her to rescue them. And, and in that culture at that time, if you were to turn from Hinduism to Christianity, if on a good day your parents would shun you and never speak to you again, on a bad day they would come and drag you away, beat you and kill you for daring to turn your back on the family um, religion. And so Amy Carmichael spent 55 years, she actually fell and was injured. I'm gonna talk more about her next week. She actually was fell and was injured and spent the last 20 years of her life in bed running a ministry. And all these girls would run, they heard about her, you can be safe in, in, in Miss Carmichael's house. And so they started calling her Amma, which is the Hindu for mom. And, and at her death, she requested that they not put a, a tombstone on her grave. So the girls that she had rescued who called her mom put a bird bath on it and put the word mama. Never had, never had a physical child of her own. She had many spiritual daughters. Now you understand when Elizabeth Elliot says Amy Carmichael was what for, for me, what some now call a role model, but she was far more than a role model. She was my first spiritual mother. She showed me the shape of godliness. What new life needs more than anything is for a generation of women to demonstrate what it means to be godly, to follow Christ wholeheartedly, to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. And, and speaking of that, um, I want you to see this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'll tell you who he is in just a minute. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, a righteous person is one who lives for the next generation. All right, hang on. You can write that down, but I want you to understand where this comment comes from. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor, a German theologian um, who lived during the time of Hitler, during Nazi Germany. He opposed everything of Nazism. Um, in fact, he rescued Jews. He, he served as a spy against the Nazi Germany, uh, Germans and, and fed information to the Allies. At one point, he actually came to the United States and he was um, studying theology during the worst part of, of Hitler's regime. And he said to someone here in the United States, he said, I cannot be a pastor to the German people if I do not go through this time of suffering with them. So he leaves the, the comforts of America goes back, rescues Jews, eventually gets caught rescuing Jews, goes to a German prison where it says he became the pastor of the prison, and then he eventually went to a German death camp where he became the, the pastor of a German death camp. One month before Germany surrendered to the Allies and the war was over, they hanged Dietrich Bonhoeffer because he was an enemy of Nazi Germany and he was a friend of Jews and he was a Christ follower. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, a righteous person, a fully devoted follower of Christ is one who lives for the next generation. That's what I want to get across to you today. Whether you're male or female, we're going to talk about spiritual moms today, but the older men are supposed to teach the younger men. The older women are supposed to teach younger women. Now, almost 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul started a church on the island of Crete. And he left behind a young pastor named Titus there. Understand, at that time, no one had grown up in church because there was no such thing as a Christian church until Jesus was raised from the dead. So Paul, I want you to notice what Paul says any church needs to do to grow up spiritually. He tells Titus this in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. 
They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and pure, to work in their homes, to do good and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. He's saying you need to live. If you're going to say you're a Christ follower and the Bible is God's word, you need to live in such a way that it brings honor on God's word, not dishonor. If you say I'm, I'm a Christ follower and I believe God's word, I'm just not going to do it. That brings dishonor on the word of God. He says, don't do that. Now, at what age do you become an older woman? Paul is a coward. He doesn't tell us. But I think I know. You ready for this? You become an older woman when you're one year older than my wife, who this year will celebrate her 28th birthday. She doesn't care about that stuff. She, she actually will celebrate the 22nd anniversary of her 28th birthday. She'll be 50 this year. Can y'all believe that? Paul doesn't tell us, but I'm telling you, if you're one year older than my wife, sorry, you are older. Uh, but he says we need to find, he says to the young pastors, find some older women and teach them, challenge them to do some things. I'm going to show you what he challenged them to do. There's two big things and then there's some sub points under that. So the first thing he says to the older women is how you live matters. How you live matters. He tells them to be godly. Now, I want, you to, I want you to pay attention to this. This is unique to Christianity because the older women were not marginalized. In fact, they were raised to the highest standard. Jesus always taught women well, uh, treated women well. And he was, he was kind to women long before it was popular in our day and age. Women were the first ones to discover that the tomb was empty. Um, they couldn't even give testimony in a, in a court of law, but God cared about women so much that he allowed them to be the first to see the miraculous event that Jesus was alive. Um, women funded Jesus' ministry. Jesus taught them well long before it was a movement in, in 2018. Um, so the older women were raised up and, and they were given this job to do. And Paul says, if a church is going to be healthy, it has to function like this. Older women need to take their place and, and train the younger women. So he challenges them to do five things or pay attention to five things. The first one is remain teachable. Teach the older women implies that they're what? Teachable. So I don't care what age you are. Are you still growing? Are you still learning? Are you still pursuing God? One of the most attractive things about my wife is every morning she gets up and walks through, she'll say hi to me, sometimes she'll kiss me, sometimes she'll hug me, but she walks out into her little chair out in the game room, she pulls out her Bible, and almost every day of the year she turns on her heater, regardless of how hot it is outside, and she spends time reading her Bible, highlighting, praying, and she doesn't get out of that chair until she's done with her time with the Lord. It is extremely attractive to me. She's still teachable. And then sometimes she'll walk in and she'll go, hey, I read this. What does that mean? And we have this conversation and it's just, it's incredible to me. She's still teachable at 28 plus 22. Second thing he challenges, he says, watch your lifestyle. Teach these older women to live in a way that is appropriate. So I need to ask you, is, is your lifestyle honoring God? People are watching and just because your kids are grown and out of the house does not mean that your job is done, does not mean that you can retire. There are lots of women in our church who need a role model, not someone who will tell them what to do, someone who will show them what to do. You see, because in the Christian life, uh, you can say a lot of things, but, but showing people is better because you can, you can impress people from a distance. You cannot, you can only influence them up close. 
You can impress people from a distance, but they don't know you. When they get outside these walls and they see whether you really live what you believe, that's when you influence people for or against Christ. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. He's not saying that, that if you teach um, uh, inaccurately that you're going to lose your salvation. He's saying, he says, you're discrediting your salvation and you're also causing a stumbling block for someone else who might be saved. Hold to what, so don't teach one thing and live another. That's what he's saying. Watch your lifestyle. Next thing he says is always serve God. Did you know there's not a single verse in scripture that says you ever get to retire from serving God? It's not in there. You, you can retire from your, from your vocation, but you don't get to retire from the, the church from serving God. There may be times that you need to be refreshed. Janie and I went to this borderless conference with uh, uh, Praying Pelican Missions, and we, got to, we spent two days, two whole days of, of sermons and worship music and hanging out with the, the Haitian folks, the coordinators from Haiti. Um, we, were, uh, we were the only ones that didn't speak fluent Creole, I think, in this group, but it was pretty funny when we went to lunch and hung out with them. They poured into us, and we came back. Um, refreshed. We're about to go to Cam and Stacy's house for our Washburn reunion at the end of May. One of the things we love about going to Cam and Stacy's house is when we come in, they love us like family. We look forward to going. We are family. We all have our own rooms. We all stay in the same, well, not our own rooms, but we have rooms where we stay. It's, this is Doug and Janie's room. There's um, Rachel and Hannah's room, and, and they just love on us for several days. We love going there, but we can't stay there because we're not called to live in Cedar Park, Texas. We're called to live here, but there's times we need to be refreshed. There's times we need to be poured into. And Cam and Stacy do that for us. Um, and I want you to think about this. The most tragic thing in any church is when a woman, a man too, but we're talking about women today, when a woman who finally has time, she's, her kids are grown, when she finally has years of experience, the right, right um, perspective about those years of experience, when she's gained wisdom, when that type of woman steps back to the sidelines and says, I'm just gonna watch now. The church suffers because younger women need what you have learned. It's not biblical Christianity to retire from serving. Next thing he challenges these women is to watch your mouth. I am jumping off in the deep end with the sharks right now. I understand that, but this comes from the apostle Paul. So don't, don't yell at the messenger Get mad at Paul and then his boss, God, if you don't like this. The right type of women are not gossips. They're not slanders. They're not those who constantly spew negativity and criticism towards others. I don't know if you've noticed the attitudes of our older women around here. I'm not about to call out any who don't identify themselves. But I will tell you one. Miss Yvonne, she, she gladly tells you that she is the second oldest woman in this church. But all of the older ladies in our church love being here. From the moment I see them, if I'm outside and I see them, if I'm inside and I see them, the moment I see them, they are talking about, they, they are so excited to be here. Miss Sharon is one of those. I'll mention you. And every time, and I don't know what she does on the way up here. She and Carlene could have all kinds of fights on the way up here, the 20 minute, I don't know. But when, when, when I see Miss Sharon, the first thing I say, how are you? I am wonderful. And she gives me a big hug and she will, she'll chase me down with that cane if I don't get out there and give her a hug. She used to walk around our church 
and pray. She can't do that anymore, but she would pray before events, pray over our church. These women love to be here. They're living out this verse, Colossians 4, 6, which says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive. I don't know what, I don't know what happens before, but I know when these ladies get here, their conversation is gracious and attractive. And don't you want to be around someone whose conversation is gracious and attractive? Aren't you repelled from someone whose conversation is not gracious and is unattractive? Yes. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Last night, Miss Yvonne texted me and she said, I cannot wait to worship our daddy God with my new, new life church family. Oh, you can't help but appreciate someone who watches their mouth and good things flow out of their mouth. The last one is avo avoid inappropriate behavior. Specifically, you know what he says? He says, do not be heavy drinkers. Now, we don't know how much alcohol was too much alcohol in the first church, in this church in Crete, but that's not even the point. How much is too much? How far is too far sexually? That's not even the point. There's a deeper point. There, there is a timeless principle that you can find from the Bible that should, should be this overarching theme of Christ, Christians, Christ followers, and here it is. Don't let anything you do be a stumbling block to someone else. Now, we have in this, this group, we have some folks who are going through recovery, who have been recovered alcoholics or, or um, drug addicts, or they've been abused sexually. They've gone through, in the first service, we have a bunch too. And, and here's the thing, my, my decisions of what I do out here in Palestine should be based upon whether I'm gonna be a stumbling block to someone who's going through recovery. So you better believe I'm not gonna do anything that would cause someone to look bad on the name of Christ or New Life Community Church. I have to, a mature Christian says what I do could impact eternity. So how much is too much? That's not even the right question. Am I being a stumbling block? That's the right question. Don't do anything that would cause someone coming after you to stumble and fall. Especially little children, Jesus said it'd be better for a millstone, and you're talking about a 2,000-pound rock to be tied around your neck to you be thrown into the deep of the sea than to cause a little child to stumble so that you can have your way, so that you have a right. I'm just telling you what God says. And then Paul says it this way, stay away from evil, from every kind Another translation says, avoid every kind of evil. And e anything evil is something that causes someone else to stumble. Now, I want you to look at those five challenges and I want you to circle or asterisk or maybe dot, if you don't want anybody else to know, just put a little dot by one that you need help with, whether you're male or female. This can apply to all of us. Next, I want you to think about a woman you know who has lived out an, an example of these five things who you say, I could be like, if I was gonna be like anybody spiritually, I would wanna be like them. I want you to write their name down, or at least their initials, and then I want you to commit to telling them. You need to call them, you need to text them, you need to send them a card today to tell them you have made an impact in my life. You, you could give, you do not know sometimes that people are about to crash because they think nobody notices what they're doing. And I'm not saying you, you have to, 
I'm just saying you could be the wind in their sails that get them over a rough patch if you say your life impacted me for the glory of God. It is not the thought that counts. You need to let them know today you made an impact in my life. Now, Paul, and by the way, if you don't have someone like that, you need to pray that God would bring you someone like that, that you can do life with, um, that will encourage you. Now, Paul says it's not enough just to live right. There's something that matters more, and that's number two. Who you pass it on to matters most. Having the qualities is not enough. You need to pass them on to somebody else. Look what he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5. I love this passage. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois. The only thing we know about Lois is right here in, in 2 Timothy. God said, this woman is such an, such an important person. I want her name recorded in scripture in the best-selling book of all times. For thousands of years, as long as there is a planet, people are going to be talking about Lois. And then look what he says. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that that same faith continues strong in you. Mom's no longer here, but my mom was taken to church by my great uncle Walt. Mom was the oldest of eight kids. My, my grandparents didn't go to church. They weren't, they weren't very religious people. And so my uncle Walt would come and pick up my mom. He had one of the first motor cars uh, in existence. But mom lived down a dirt road, and, and if it rained, I'm not making this up, if it rained, Uncle Walt would hitch up his horse to his buggy, and he would go down the dirt road, the muddy dirt road, to pick up my mama. He, he bought a dress so that my mom would have a, a dress to go to church in. So I don't think it's a stretch to say the faith that my Uncle Walt showed filled my mom, and I am a pastor today because of the faith that my Uncle Walt showed to my mom, and my mom taught me there is no greater place to be on a Sunday morning than in the house of the Lord. And I will go to my grave believing that and proclaiming that the people of God need to regularly fellowship with the people of God. If your kids are still at home, I'm gonna tell you right now, there's no higher calling you have than to train them for eternity. Our society is way caught up in, in sports and academics and what job you get and how much money you make. I'm just going to tell you, none of that stuff will impress God. It doesn't matter what degree you have. Baylor University isn't going to impress God when I try to show him my, my diploma from Baylor. What job you have, how, how good you were at sports, not going to matter. What's going to matter is, do your kids know Jesus? What do you what do? You, I was a youth minister for 19 years and, and four different Baptist churches. And in every church, more than once I heard, it's your job, youth minister, to train my kids about God because that's what we pay you for. And I don't know if it's righteous indignation or just indignation that boiled up in me and I would say, oh, really? There are 168 hours in a, in a week and you expect me to fix in your child in one hour? All the things that they've been doing for 167 hours that you've been promoting? Yeah, right. See, I did some study this week. Teenagers, those under 18 today, spend 6.5 hours per day in front of some type of screen, either the TV screen or a computer screen, an iPad or a phone. 6.5 hours per day. That's 45.5 hours per week. 
Now, if they come to church one hour, or maybe two, if they're really spiritual, they come two hours a week, and they have 45.5 hours of something that you don't even know what they're looking at, which one do you think is winning? Oh, let's not stop there. Let's keep calculating, if I can find my numbers. So in a, in a year, it's going to come out to... 2,366 hours per year they're in front of some kind of screen. And if you come to church every week, 52 hours about God. By the time they're 18, 42,588 hours of screen time. And if they go to church every Sunday from the time they're born until they're 18, it'd be 936 hours in the presence of God. It doesn't take a mathematician to figure out why the kingdom of hell is stealing the souls of our children. So don't ever tell me it's my job to fix your kids or teach them about God. It's your job. Our children's ministry, Janie's talking about spiritual gifts right now. She's teaching your children about spiritual gifts. And, and I'm not insulting, I'm not trying to insult anybody, but I'm willing to bet Many of you don't even know what your spiritual gift is. Your children are learning about that in children's church. We have one of the best children's churches I've ever seen. But that's supposed to be a supplement to your training, your children about God, because we only have them one or two hours a week. Hannah just finished high school. And, and she's going to be going off this fall to Ingredients Dance Company. It's a... It's a incredible thing and I told her told her I think it's hilarious that she's leaving home and going to something that is more restrictive than her parents they are they curfews she'll be at the dance studio five hours a day she'll have to have a job she'll have to serve in a church she can only come home one time I said this is funny to me that you're going to go someplace more strict but I also told her this this was already in the sermon I told her I said I said sweetheart I don't I don't care what you do for a living in your life, I just wanna know that you're following Jesus. And if I know you're following Jesus, I will do anything I can to support you. And so she's not going the traditional route, that's all right. She believes God has called her. I believe God has called her to do this. I see God in her when she dances. She worships. I don't know where, we met some really incredible people this weekend when we went up to visit. And, and I am confident that they have the best interests of my daughter at heart. But here, here's why I tell you that. For the most part, my parenting's done with Hannah. And I'm pleased with where she is now. I'm not saying she's perfect, but I'm pleased with the direction she's heading. Rachel is here. She's, she just finished her junior year in college. She serves the Lord when she's not in church here on Sunday morning. She's in church in Nacogdoches. She and Matt are regular attenders. I'm pleased with the direction of their life, but really my, my parenting's done. There is nothing more important than the kingdom of God. And you may expect me to say that because I'm a preacher, but I'm just going to tell you, when you die someday, you're going to remember this conversation. Because there's going to be a lot of stuff. The Bible says that, that God's going to, he's going to test your works with fire. And things made of wood, hay, stubble, going to burn up. Only the things that will remain are those things based on the kingdom of God. So it's your job, parents, grandparents, 
to make sure your kids understand the most important thing in life is do you know and love and serve Jesus Christ? If I were to do a poll today and ask you what's the most influential thing in your life, I'm willing to bet it wasn't a sermon, as hard as that is for a preacher to say. It wasn't a seminar, it wasn't a song. If I were to ask you the most influential spiritual thing in your life, you'd probably say as a person. Someone influenced your life and that's why you're here today. I, uh, I heard about a man who was gonna spend some quality time with his children and in true man fashion, he goes and gets a newspaper and a cup of coffee before he takes his kids to the park to play with them. He sits down on his bench and he starts reading his paper and he said two women were sitting right next to him and he said, it's really hard to concentrate on my paper because of all the chattering that was going on. I'm not sure what that means, but I think you know what that means. He said, eventually, uh, he becomes, his words, I became totally engrossed in their conversation, but he didn't want them to know. So I'm sitting there with my newspaper up, but I'm eavesdropping, totally eavesdropping on their conversation. He said, I was blown away that these two young women sitting in a public park were sharing the depth of their lives, every intimate detail about family life and problems and struggles in their past. And he said, but the thing that blew me away the most was when one of them got up to leave and said, it was so great meeting you today. (laughs) Can I tell you that never happened with men? I might tell you, Justin to tell you he's an Astros fan, first meeting, but I don't think you're going to drop down in all the intimate details, right? The idea of spiritual mothering is doing life with someone else. Doesn't matter about a curriculum. It's just sharing your successes, your failures, and encouraging each other. You remember when you taught your kids how to brush their teeth? How many of you did a, um, <laughs> the history of toothbrushes in the Western world? How many of you brought up, you know, did a little flannel graph? No. How many of you did a word study on cavities and the destructive nature? No. You took a toothbrush in their little hand, you put the toothpaste on it, and you showed them how to brush their teeth. There are young men, young women in our church who need someone to show them how to do life, how to, how to have integrity in business, how, how to do marriage correctly, um, how, to, how to go through crisis and keep your head above water. They need someone to show them. And see, uh, it's gonna look different from woman to woman how how you carry that out, but it's not a suggestion. The Apostle Paul says, oh, if you feel like it, invest into the next generation. No, it's a command that you're supposed to do. Share your story, share your life. Years ago, there was a man named Bob who was um, the chaplain of the Florida legislature, and he was asked, how did you get the job of chaplain? Here's what he said. Years ago, it started years ago, there was a guy in the state Senate who was just getting beat up and massacred by the media. My heart went out to him. Um, God kind of laid him on my heart, and I thought, I'm going to try to see if I can get an appointment with this guy just to encourage him. So after several tries, he finally gets an appointment. He goes to the guy's office, sits down in the chair. The senator comes in sits down behind his desk and looks at Bob and says, what can I do for you? Here's what Bob says, nothing. I'm not here to ask for anything. I just want, I just know that you've been having a hard time from the media and I'm a Christian brother and I just want to come alongside you. And if over time you're in office, you need someone to pray for you or encourage you or be a friend, I'd like to offer myself. Bob said the Senator burst into tears. And when he composed himself, he said, You're the first person to ever walk through that door who didn't want something from me. Ladies, there are so many young women 
in our church that, that need someone to come alongside them and say, I don't want anything from you. I just want to be an encourager to you. You're further down the road and they can see your life and see that you can survive this. So if you want to be a spiritual mom, there's three quick things I want to tell you about. Here's how to be a spiritual mom. First one is open your Bible. I've got the living Bible translation of this verse and and here's what it says. For whatever God says to us, that's God's word, for the word of God is living and active, but this is the living Bible. So it says, for whatever God says to us is full of living power. God's word is alive. It is sharper than the sharpest dagger cutting swift and deep into our innermost thoughts and desires with all their parts, exposing us for what we really are. And somebody may say, well, I'm not a Bible teacher. So what? One of the most powerful things you could do is open up your Bible and read a passage of scripture with a younger mom or younger woman and then discuss what that means. God's God's word has living power. C.S. Lewis once said, you don't have to defend God's word. God's word is like a lion that's chained up. You don't have to defend a chained up lion. You let it go and it defends itself. The word of God is living and active. Just let it go. Second thing is open your home for a meal, a cup of coffee, share your life around the dining room room table. How hard is it to do that? I learned hospitality from a group of Christians. Every church, every city that I served in, there's somebody that welcomed Janie and me into their homes. In fact, in, in Austin, Cameron's parents, James and Darlene Corbin, they, Janie and I lived in different cities when we got engaged and she would come to see me and they gave her a key to their house. She had her own bedroom. In fact, they call it Janie's bedroom. And, and people would say, hey, can we do this? And they're like, no, no, Janie may need it this weekend. That's her bedroom. She had her own parking place in their driveway. They didn't even have to know when she was coming. Sometimes, because it's on opposite sides of the house, sometimes they'd get up in the door and say, oh, Janie must be in town this weekend. That's hospitality. These people loved us and enabled Janie to come and visit me and, and to be perfectly pure. Nobody ever wondered where Janie was staying. She had her own room at the Corbin's house until we got married. And every city we've lived in, people have taught us about hospitality by opening up their house. Look what Romans 12, 13 says. When God's children are in need, you be the one to help them out and get into the habit of inviting guests home for dinner or if they need lodging for the night, you be the one. Third is open your calendar. You need to have regular time to hang out with people of God. And I wrote in my notes, I need to hang out with our band. The last time our band did anything outside of church, we went to see Michael Jr. He's a Christian comedian. Man, that dude was fun. We had so much fun. We were supposed to eat. Where were we supposed to eat? Texas Roadhouse, and they wouldn't let us. uh, Anyway, so we went to Taco Bueno. We had more fun at Taco Bueno, but I need to spend time because as much fun as we have on a Wednesday night rehearsing, you can't do life during a rehearsal. I love the people in the band, but God knits my heart together with those people in the band outside of this stage and outside of Sunday morning. When our small groups went out to uh, Lakeview camp, that was a blast. And I have very fond memories of sitting around the table or walking around or jumping on the, I always forget the name of the jump pillow. What's that thing called? Well, it's like a blob, but it's a jump pillow. Dude, I, was, I didn't know you could bounce kids off and, and they'd be okay, but I saw Brad do it and I thought, man, I started bouncing children everywhere. It was awesome. And, and most of them were like, do it again, do it again. I said, all right, and they go flying. It was fun. You need to have some regular times outside of the walls of the church where you're connecting with the people of God. People are going the same way with you. When Moses was telling the Israelites how you pass on the word of God to the next generation, here's what he says in Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9. 
Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I don't think he means literally, so I'm not going to get a a tattoo of, of my favorite verse across my forehead. But what it means, it would not be cool. I'm sorry, Travis. Um, I think what it means is when someone sees you outside the walls of the church, the fingerprints of God should be so evident in your life that they say they know God. Only a Christ follower would act like that, would talk like that, would respond to me like that. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Oh my goodness. I can't tell you how many times I've had to go back to someone and say, will you forgive me because I'm an idiot I mean, when, when I've acted a fool, doesn't mean you're sinless. It means you do the right thing. When you mess up, you admit it and ask someone to forgive you. It is vital that new life become a place where the older men teach the younger men, where the older women teach the younger women. That's what we have to build if our church is going to be healthy and successful. Would you bow your heads? Father, I thank you for the word of God, which, which addresses anything we will ever face. Help us to come under the authority of God's word and help us to live God's word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Three baskets in the back, joy basket. Take up our offerings, registration card basket. Put prayer concerns on there, um, answered prayer. And third basket is bagel basket. Everything goes in there, goes towards future building projects. Stand up, hug four people, tell them you love them. And don't forget to tell moms, happy Mother's Day. You're dismissed. (laughs)